It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? China now has the most advanced facial recognition program in the world. Today in China, you can withdraw cash, buy groceries, and check in at the airport using only your face. The Chinese government already has 170 million security cameras watching their 1.4 billion citizens. Beyond this, they have an ambitious plan to soon place 400 million new cameras across the entire country. With their ever-advancing supercomputers and facial recognition software, they soon expect to monitor all of their citizens' movements, finances, and even emotions. Did you know the Bible says that someone is already recording your every thought, word, and action? Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, listening friends. This is Bible Answers Live. I am Doug Batchelor. Pastor Jean Ross is out of town on his way overseas on a mission trip right now, but we're going to be studying the Word of God together. And before we go to the questions and our free offer for tonight, we want to begin the program with prayer. Loving Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Word and for the promise that knowing the truth will set us free. We pray tonight, Lord, that the truth in part or in whole, will liberate the listeners. And so please bless for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I started with an amazing fact about China. I've made several trips to China. I was privileged in 2014 to present one of the first public evangelistic meetings in China ever since communism took hold. Just a, an incredible country. A lovely people, but the government can be a little overreaching. And the fact that they're not only monitoring now their people through facial recognition software, they've got cameras everywhere that are watching every car. They look at the license plates. They know where they are. People's phones, cell phones are registered. They know who is on the phone and who is not and where they are based on the GPS on their phone. And they're even using their facial recognition software for ethnic identity. And, you know, there's some Muslim Chinese people in part of the country that have been persecuted and they've developed this software so it can even identify the race of somebody. They're watching all the time and it's not getting better. It's almost like uh, the fulfillment of George Orwell's 1984. But, you know, this is really nothing new. Do you know the Bible says you have always been watched? There has always been someone who sees your every move. Jesus said in the judgment, we'll give an account for every idle word that we speak. And that's Matthew chapter 12. And you can't hide from God. He sees everything. Even though Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, he should have known better. 
Psalm 139, verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will fall on me, even the night will be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Can't hide from God in the dark. Bible says he sees everything. He sees everything we do. He hears every word that we speak. And what's more, he knows every thought you think. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. That's why we need the gospel and a new heart. Hebrews 4.13 there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And you know, the Bible tells us that 2 Corinthians 5.10, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone might receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Everyone will give an account someday to God and stand before Christ to determine what have we done with our lives. And if we have sins that we have not placed on Christ and confessed and repented of, there's an accounting for that. And that's why it's so important for us to take advantage of the gospel and the pardon that God is offering us. I don't want to go to the judgment, have my life reviewed. I already know too much that I've done that would disqualify me. I'm looking to Christ and his mercy. You know, we have a free offer that talks about that coming judgment and the mercy that God offers. We would like to make available for free. It's called Pending Your Case in Court. Pending Your Case in Court. That number, 800-835-6747. That's for your free offer. One more time for the free offer. Call this number. Ask for Pending Your Case in Court. It's free. You'll be blessed by it. 800-835-6747. And we, I'm looking, yeah, we still have lines open. If you want to call and get your question in on tonight's program, that number is 800-GOD-SAYS. 800-463-7297 brings your question into tonight's broadcast. And, of course, we're also streaming uh, what's happening here in our humble little studio uh, around the world and the country on Facebook. You can go to the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or the Amazing Facts Facebook page, and that's simply uh, Amazing Facts. Type in Amazing Facts Facebook. It'll get you there. With that lengthy introduction, we're going to go to our first caller, talking to Daniel from Alabama. Daniel, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hello, Pastor Doug. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That's good to hear. How are you doing? I'm, I am doing really good. And the question I'm going to say is... Um, so the verses are um, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, and Ezekiel, chapter 16, verses 11 through 12. So both of them have a jewelry mention, and it seems to like mention it in a good way. So can you explain why jewelry is talked about in the verses in those ways? Yeah, and, you know, a number of Protestant churches, not so much today as it used to be, didn't wear any jewelry. They, they thought the reason for that is because you find verses like Second Peter chapter 3, where he says, Do not let your adornment be outward adorning, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on of apparel. And then you can read in uh, Timothy, where Paul says, In like manner the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety, not with embroidered hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. And then the real deal breaker was there's a verse in Isaiah 
chapter 3, where it talks about the proud daughters of Israel were bedecking themselves with their rings. And this is, oh, what is it? Isaiah 3 starts with verse 18. So then you find verses like Song of Solomon and Ezekiel, where it talks about women in a wedding or how God adorned his bride. In Bible times, they had no money, paper money. And when people gave gifts, they would often, for money, they'd give jewels. An example of this would be when Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to find a wife for Isaac. Part of the dowry was, it says he gave her a bracelet, he gave her a, a, a nose ring, or maybe earrings too, I don't remember. But, and it tells the weight of them because it was, it was a, a cash gift. And that's how they had money back then. When the children of Israel spoiled the Egyptians to get payment for their slavery, the Egyptians gave them their jewels of gold and silver, so forth. And that's what they used to dedicate to build the temple. They also melted some of it down to make a golden calf. So that was the money. The two cases you mentioned, I think, are in relation to a wedding. And when they had weddings, they would you know, give a dowry and they'd give gifts. And it was often in the form of jewels. The New Testament principle is one of simplicity and modesty. I want to make it clear, you know, there's going to be a lot of Christians in heaven that wore jewelry. Uh, the more conservative Protestants like myself, I don't wear any jewelry. Part of the reason is because a few years ago, you remember all of those televangelists got in trouble in, was it, the late 80s? And they even wrote songs about, would Jesus wear Rolex? And they talked about the ostentatious attire of the evangelists and their wives and Christ talks about modesty. So uh, the principle I think is one that, um, you know, we don't want to do anything else to make somebody else stumble. So I, I think that Christians should not be wearing jewelry. I have a book I've written on that. I don't know. Some people are shocked to hear me say this. I know one thing I'm not going to stand before the Lord in the judgment and have the Lord say, Doug, I can't let you in. You didn't wear enough jewelry. I have a book. I'll send you a free copy. It's called Jewelry, How Much is Too Much? Jewelry, How Much is Too Much? And Daniel, I don't know what you think. Is it just my imagination? Or are people piercing everything they can possibly pierce these days and hanging all kinds of golds and beads? And, you know, it starts small, and it seems like as the culture deteriorates, the external display gets bigger. What do you think? Yeah, I believe that. It's just people be piercing wherever they be piercing. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, you have to always ask, a Christian's a follower of Christ, what would Jesus do? And since Paul and Peter, they say, let it not be the gold and the pearls, but let it be the inner light that adorns you. That's what we live by. Thank you very much. Appreciate your call. And don't forget that free offer, jewelry, how much is too much. Going to talk next to, let's see, Joel, who's calling from New York. Joel, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi, how you doing, Doc Bachelor? Doing great. Thank you for calling. Uh, well, I'm confusing a little bit about, uh, uh, I just want to wonder, you know, why in the Bible in the beginning, you know, uh, Aaron uh, wasn't attacked by, by the devil. Instead of Aaron, it was Eve. I wonder why it was uh, something uh, that I'm confusing a little bit. Why, it, you know, the devil attacked Eve instead of Aaron. Why did he go to Eve instead of Adam? I'm just confusing a little bit. Well, think of it this way. The devil is waging war against God. And he knew that God had just made this new world and these creatures in his image that he loves very much. You know, God spoke the creatures into existence. But when he made man, he formed him with his own hands and he kissed the breath of life into Adam. God loves man as any parent would love a child, indeed more. The devil wanted to hurt God. 
He saw the woman was by herself, so she was more vulnerable. Uh, the devil exploited that. He thought, I'm going to get to Adam through Eve. Now, that's not the first time that's happened. How did the devil get to Samson through Delilah? How did the devil get to David through Bathsheba? How did the devil get to Solomon? So Solomon loved many women and they drew his heart away after other gods. So he's done this all through history, knowing that men have very soft hearts when it comes to women. And so the devil thought, I'm going to get to the man through the woman. Okay. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, if you've not signed up for the Amazing Facts study guides, in our third study guide, it talks about the fall of man. I think it's called, Did God Create a Devil? If you call the resource line and ask for that study guide on Did God Create a Devil? The number, 800-835-6747. That's the number for the free resource, Did God Create a Devil? And if you have a Bible question, it's 800-GOD-SAYS. Thank you very much for your call. And I'm going to talk next to Helen, calling from, I think it's Colorado. Helen, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Uh, hi, Pastor. Good evening. Evening. How can we help you? So, yeah, my question is, uh, how do I survive the church that's uh, full of problems that is so discouraging just to go there every week? And then is God ever going to do something to save this church? Well, you know, you're not alone. Don't be discouraged, Helen. I'll answer your question briefly. I want to tell you right now that I wrote a book for someone exactly like you, and it's called How to Survive in Church. And I've got a chapter that talks about surviving in big church, small church, uh, dying church spiritually. But you'll be encouraged by that. Don't give up. You want to go and be a witness in that church. And what the devil wants is to discourage us or to get us to look at people. Now, keep in mind that when Jesus walked the earth, he had his 12 apostles. Even among the 12 apostles, Jesus dealt with arguing. Not only did Peter and John and James argue about who had the highest position, Jesus had a thief in the treasury department. And he had unbelief among the elders and the pastors, <laughs> the disciples. Jesus said, where's your faith? They often lost faith. And they forsook him and fled and denied him. But they were the ones God used to change the world. Don't get discouraged if you see people bickering and, and some people are hypocrites in the church. You keep your eyes on Jesus and do your best to be a good example. You know, a bee does not make much honey by himself. You got to be in a hive. So you want to stay together. If you're going to be a football player, you need a team. Uh, an army, you need soldiers that will group together. So stick with it. And remember, it's not the pastor's church or an organization's church. It's the church of Jesus. And you want to make sure, you know, if you have, sometimes you're in a big city and there's other churches in the neighborhood that are more biblical and more edifying. You want to go if you can. A lot of people live in small towns where, you know, next church is 100 miles away and you've got to make the best of what you've got. Uh, check out that book. How to Survive in Church, and you can call 800-835-6747. I think I have a sermon by that title you can listen to for free on YouTube. And just, uh, you can type in Doug Batchelor, How to Survive in Church. Thank you very much, Helen. I hope that helps a little bit. Um, talking to Peter in New Jersey. Peter, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Yes, Pastor, I'm just going to switch phones for a second. No problem. There we go, that's better. Pastor, certain... Uh, verses in the Bible say that we're to edify one another, we're to bear with each other's burdens, and 
be together with each other. Then there's certain verses like in Timothy that says we're to turn away from certain people. Then you have verses like in Third John that say if someone comes to your door without this document of the Bible, don't even give them greeting. How do you know when to it's uh, time to turn away from somebody or to bear with uh, somebody? Well, if someone is getting confused doctrinally, your first effort would be to reconcile them, redeem them. Because uh, James says that if you turn a brother from the error of his ways, you will you know, save a soul and cover a multitude of sins. So always you want to be redemptive. When a person is settled in their ways and they're just coming to a church and causing division by false teachings, you don't want to jeopardize the sheep by letting a wolf in. If that person is unrepentant and they're not open to going along with Bible teaching, at some point, I just had a talk with our pastors this week. There's somebody that we needed to deal with that had no intention of following the Bible. They kept coming to the church to try to recruit people for their own teachings, their own group. And we finally had to say, look, this is private property. You're not welcome because you're you're as a pastor, you're caring about the sheep. And if someone says, look, I've got these issues, I'm concerned, can you study with me? That's different. And you try to edify and build them up and help them and teach them and carry them through their struggles. But when a person is settled in their ways and they're not going to change, at some point, don't open your door. Shake the dust off your feet, as Jesus said. I know it sounds a little brutal. Does that make sense? Would that be the same thing also with the unsaved world, the people that we know? Well, you know, you always want to work to try and save the lost. If you've got somebody that is just a scoundrel trying to hurt the church and persecute, uh, and they don't have any redeemable, they're not at all open. Jesus said, and I know this is really hard, but he said, do not cast your pearls before swine and don't give what is holy to the dogs. And Jesus said, there's some people, you just got to call them a brood of vipers and move on. That's what John the Baptist did. So you need judgment and discernment because you gotta, you know, you're dealing with people's souls and you want to be as patient as possible, but you also have to be realistic. Some people, you're just spinning your wheels if you spend all your time trying to turn them around. Hope that helps a little, Peter. Good question and a very realistic one. All right, going to talk next to Linda in, um, is that Connecticut? Yes. Hi, Linda, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor, how are you? Doing good, appreciate your calling. I thank you for your ministry. Um, Pastor, I was wondering about the immutability of God's character, uh, of his, um, not in reference to the Sabbath, although that's a whole, I mean, that you, of course, there's many sermons about that, but I'm talking about where it seems like um, the Bible contradicts God's immutability. It says uh, in a few places that God is unchanging. I believe that. And I'm doing Bible studies with two different people, and they brought up this thing about the Bible contradicting itself. And I thought the only thing I could think of was Jeremiah 18. What example did they give you of the Bible contradicting itself? Um, let me, I wrote this down. Let me look. I have uh, uh, in Jonah, with Jonah. Oh, God said through Jonah he was going to destroy the Ninevites, but then he didn't. Correct. And then First Samuel, I think, uh, 15. And I think Jeremiah 18, 7 to 11 explains it all. 
but I, I think these people are just trying to find fault in the Bible. Well, let, let me talk about Jonah for just a second. You know, before I do answer, I'll mention I have a book called The Sign of Jonah, and I'll send you a free copy. And uh, it's 800-835-6747. And as for The Sign of Jonah, it talks about that. But what God said about his prophecy of the Ninevites God never wanted to destroy them. If he was going to destroy them, why bother sending Jonah at all? Just rain fire on them. He sent Jonah to warn them, hoping they'd repent, which they did. So his judgment was conditional. In other words, God said, look, if you don't turn from your sins, in 40 days Nineveh is going to be vaporized or whatever he was going to do, and they'd be destroyed. But they did repent. And so God extended the mercy, and it, it wasn't actually until probably over 100 years later the Ninevites turned away from God again, and they were severely judged. But um, all through the Bible, in Ezekiel, it says, if the wicked man, chapter 18, if a wicked man turns from his wickedness and does what is righteous, he will live. If he repents and turns, Bible says, if we confess and forsake our sins, we will have mercy. That doesn't mean God's inconsistent. That means God's merciful, which is the whole message of the Bible. Some of God's prophecies were clearly conditional. The prophecies that God gave through Moses in uh, Deuteronomy 28, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments, all these blessings will follow you. But if, that means it's conditional, if you don't, all these curses will follow. And whenever they obeyed, they got the blessings. When they disobeyed, they got the cursing. And that's still true today. Uh, I find the Bible is the most consistent book. God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus said, the heaven and earth will pass away. My word will not pass away. God is extremely consistent. Those who are looking for inconsistencies are, you know, they're often, uh, they're digging for something. And in my opinion, they don't ever find anything with much substance. Ask for that free book, Linda, and we thank you for your call. What if you could know the future? What would you do? What would you change? To see the future, you must understand the past. Alexander the Great becomes king when he's only 18, but he's a military prodigy. 150 years in advance, Cyrus had been named. Rome was violent, they were ruthless, they were determined. The gospel writers see his death as a fulfillment of salvation. This intriguing documentary, hosted by Pastor Doug Batchelor, explores the most striking Bible prophecies that have been dramatically fulfilled throughout history. Kingdoms in Time. Get your copy today. Available now on DVD, Blu-ray, or USB. For more information, visit kingdomsintime.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. Going to try and get in a couple more calls before the break. We're going to talk next to Blessing in Illinois. Blessing, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Oh, Pastor Dog, thank you. I've been trying to talk to you forever. I want to thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. So we got just a couple minutes for the break. How can we help? What's the question? Oh, it's on Leviticus 11. 
uh, I want to know how it applies to us today. All right, in Leviticus 11, uh, God says, speak to the children of Israel. Here's the animals which you can eat among the animals on the earth. And then he identifies animals you shouldn't eat. And uh, the Lord isn't commanding us that we have to eat animals. He's saying, if you're going to eat animals, don't eat unclean animals. And he specifies that among the mammals, there's a couple of guidelines. If a mammal was clean for food, and that also meant it was clean for sacrifice, it needed to be cloven hoofed and chew the cud. It needed both characteristics because you got a camel that chews the cud, but it's got a paw pad. It's not cloven hoofed. And you've got pigs that are cloven hoofed, but they don't chew the cud. Camels and pigs are unclean. Whereas goat, deer, sheep, cows, they chew the cud and they've got a cloven hoof. They're in the clean category and they could be used in sacrifice. Among the, the sea life, it needed two things. It needed to have fins and scales. And there was an interesting study done by the Navy, I think it was in the 50s, where they were telling soldiers after World War II, a lot of pilots got shot down and were in lifeboats in the water. They didn't know what they could eat and what they couldn't eat of the sea life. And they came back with a study and it said, if it had fins and scales, it was safe for food. <laughs> All they had to do was read the Bible. And then the, for the birds, the bird um, category is not as clear, but when you look at the different birds that are clean and the ones that are unclean, probably the best way to describe it is the foraging birds were clean. The birds of carrion, the raptors were all unclean, eagles and crows and the omnivores. The foraging birds like chickens and turkey and doves, uh, quail, pheasant, they were all clean for food. God said, if you're going to eat meat, eat the clean ones. Well, now with modern science, we know some of the worst things you could eat are unclean animals, especially scavengers like pigs or dogs. I know people are surprised to hear me say that, but in some part of the world, they still eat dog. And these are basic health laws. These are not, these are not uh, ceremonial laws that passed away with a cross. It's still true today, even in the New Testament. Uh, God said, command the Gentiles that they obey these laws. And they weren't to eat anything that still had blood. And they weren't to eat anything that was strangled with the blood still in it, meaning the health laws were still intact. Peter says in Acts chapter 10, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. This is years after the crucifixion. And people think that God was saying it's safe now to eat unclean food, but Peter has this vision. He never takes anything out of the sheet and eats it. You know, we have a study on that. We'll send you a free copy, Blessings, and it's called God's Free Health Plan. God's Free Health Plan. Call 800-835-6747. And, you know, friends, if you follow the principles in God's Word on healthy living, not just the clean and the unclean foods, but there are principles on exercise, rest, work, uh, diet, water, sunshine, all in the Bible. You get that free health plan lesson, and you will have a longer, stronger, more abundant life. It's been a real blessing to me. We're going to take a break. Uh, you hear the music. We're not going away. We would invite you to continue to call in with your Bible questions, and we'll be back after these short announcements. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Did you know that Noah was present at the birth of Abraham? Okay, maybe he wasn't in the room, but he was alive and probably telling stories about his floating zoo. 
From the creation of the world to the last day events of Revelation, BibleHistory.com is a free resource where you can explore major Bible events and characters, enhance your knowledge of the Bible, and draw closer to God's Word. Go deeper. Visit BibleHistory.com. If you enjoy hearing solid biblical answers on Bible Answers Live, you can have those same insights at your fingertips through the Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible. The updated hardcover version is available at its lowest price ever and includes the complete set of Amazing Facts 27 study guides, plus a Bible numbers and symbols chart and eight pages of colorful maps. This best ever Bible gives you a biblical cyclopedic index, words of Christ in red, chronology of the Old Testament, along with Doug Batchelor's How to Study the Bible feature and much more. Call us at AF Bookstore to learn more about it at 1-800-538-7275. The Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible stands apart from other Bibles, giving you the same solid answers you hear each week on Bible Answers Live. Order your copy today at afbookstore.com or by calling 1-800-538-7275. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. Find out what the critics are raving about. Top scholars and theologians from around the country come together to reveal the hidden history of the book of Revelation. With powerful reenactments and incredible visual effects, this 95-minute masterpiece brings to life the book of Revelation like never before. Revelation is no longer a mystery. Get your copy today. Visit iTunes or afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends. This is Pastor Doug Batchelor. Pastor Ross is uh, out of town tonight on a mission trip overseas. And we're going to go back to the phones in just a minute. If you've tuned in along the way, this is Bible Answers Live, and we're inviting you to call in. we got calls that come in from all over the world. In fact, we're going next to a call from Emmanuel in Ghana, Africa. Emmanuel, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. How are you doing? Hello, Pastor. Good evening. I'm doing good. And your question tonight? Please, my question is um, about uh, Exodus chapter 37, verse 25. It says, um, uh, Moses, he used to incest in prayers. So I want to ask, is it allowed to use incest in prayers nowadays? Yeah, well, certainly there's nothing wrong with using incense in prayer. And keep in mind what happened in the sanctuary in the Old Testament were symbols. When you read in Revelation, it talks about the incense, the smoke ascended, and it's a symbol of the prayers of the saints that are brought before the Lord uh, through the merits of Jesus by God the Spirit. In the same way that we don't need to sacrifice lambs now because Jesus is our lamb, the incense that was a symbol 
of the intercession of Christ and the Spirit and our prayers going before God, it's not required. There's no nothing morally wrong with your having some incense in your house for the fragrance. I, I don't believe you need it to make your prayers more effective. Uh, you may enjoy just the, uh, the the smell of it. I remember when I was doing meetings in India, in Madras or Chennai, India years ago, that they always had incense burning, not for the fragrance, but because the mosquitoes didn't like it and it kept the mosquitoes away. I got used to preaching with incense swirling around me during that time. They used incense as a symbol of the prayers in Exodus chapter 37, verse 25. Thank you for calling in from Ghana, Africa, Manual. Hope that helps a little bit. And we do have that study guide you can read online about God drew the plan. It's on the sanctuary that you read about in the Bible. You can just go to amazingfacts.org and look for the study guide. You search it, God drew the plan. You can read that for free online. I know it's take too long to get the lesson to you there in, in Ghana, Africa. Talking next to Cruz in Bakersfield, I'm assuming California. Cruz, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Yes, good evening, Pastor Bachelor. Evening. I'm so happy I got through. I have been having this question like for a long, long time. Um, Exodus uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 24. And um, I just want to know what it means when after he drove the men out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And my question is, what is the light flashing back and forth means? And is it still there? All right. Good question. Now, you said Exodus, but I think you meant Genesis 3, 24. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. I knew where you were going. It's okay. Yes, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> oh, you don't be. We're all friends. Genesis 24. Uh, Genesis 3, 24. Correct. You've got the angel with the flaming sword. Uh, first question, is he still there? No. And the reason is that since the world was covered by a flood in the days of Noah, the next time you find the tree of life and the garden appearing, it's in heaven. Now, you can't prove this, but it's reasonable that in the same way Revelation 21 says the new Jerusalem is going to come down from God out of heaven at the end of the 1,000 years, if God can bring the city down, he can bring a garden up. And many scholars believe that before the Lord destroyed the world, that he assumed or he caught up the garden and the tree of life to save it. Because God had planted that garden himself. He's going to restore it to man after the world is made new. So that's not, you know, a critical point to argue. But the angel's probably not still there guarding the tree because the tree's not there. God said to guard the way to the tree of life, lest man eat of it and live forever. Now, there have been, you know, a lot of uh, conquistadors and people have been looking for the fountain of youth and the tree of life. Uh, they were looking for the living water and the tree of life, all these rumors. And we pretty well got the world mapped right now. And I don't think the Garden of Eden is still here. There are some places that looked like the Garden of Eden when they were first discovered. And then what is the flaming sword that the angel held? You know, mm -hmm. it's a mystery. I'll just say that the angel had some kind of weapon of glory. And the people will see that. They start thinking of Star Wars, but we don't know exactly what it is. You can read another place where an angel of the Lord is over Jerusalem during a plague, and he's got his sword drawn, and David sees him. But it's, you know, we don't know what kind of sword this is. I mean, the Bible talks about a war in heaven between Michael and his angels. This is Revelation 12, and the dragon and his angels. What kind of weapons do angels use in a war? 
Then you read in Ezekiel 9, it says that God sent these angels through Jerusalem to punish and destroy, and they had each had a destroying weapon in his hand. It's, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll probably understand the mechanics and dynamics of these flaming swords, but they've got like the glory of God in them or something. You know, we, we think lasers or, I mean, it's hard for us to imagine what angels are using. And think about how much our technology has learned in the last hundred years. If you and I went back a hundred years and tried to explain what a smartphone is or what a radio wave or a television is, they think it was witchcraft. So imagine when we get to heaven and we see the things that angels are using. Mm-hmm. Paul said, we can't even imagine it. Wow, that's amazing. But I was just uh, wondering what the flashing back and forth meant. It was that like uh, just guarding it. It could mean that the, yeah, the angel was moving it back and forth just to let them know that this is, you're not to pass this way. Kind of like, you've probably seen soldiers like at the um, unknown soldier tomb, and you've got the honor guard marching back and forth. It's like they're making their presence known by their continual movement. And the angel's just saying, you know, this gate is guarded until the garden is opened again. And in heaven, we're going to eat from the tree of life again as well. Thank you very much for your question, Cruz. And with that, uh, we're going to talk to Wilfred. Wilfred, calling from New York. You're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi, Doug. Good evening. Evening. Um, I would like to know, why did Jesus wait until he was 30 years old to begin his ministry? Good question. I think the answer is that you can read in, I believe it's, is it Exodus or Leviticus, that Moses said a priest was not allowed to serve as a priest in the temple till he was 30. And it's also, you weren't really considered a man until you were 30. Now, you know, we'll draft people now at 17, 18, people snuck into the army. But in Bible times, when you're in your 20s, they still considered you a youth. When David fought Goliath, he was not eight or 10 years old. He was probably 20. David then ran from King Saul for several years. David became king at 30. Joseph went out over Egypt when he was 30 years of age, two symbols of Christ, David and Joseph, and a priest could not serve as priest until he was 30. And uh, I think you can only serve until you were 55. Jesus, when he knew he would be respected as a rabbi, you had to be 30, I believe, to serve in the Sanhedrin. If you wanted to be a respected rabbi, they waited until you were 30 and you had a little life experience under your belt. Looking back now, I'm 62. I think when I was 30, I was just a kid. <laughs> I'm twice that old now. I hope I've learned something. Thank you, Doug. All right. Hey, thanks. Great question. Appreciate it. And we're going to talk next with uh, Dave Calling from North Carolina. Dave, you are on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hello, Pastor Doug. Hi. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. And how are you doing? I'm doing well, sir. First, I want to say uh, praise to the Most High and it's such an honor to get to talk to you. I've been watching you for some years now, and I find the uh, uh, Amazing Facts ministry very powerful. So, you know, I thank God for those things. Well, thank you. That's very kind. How can we help you tonight with a question? Yes, sir. Um, I was wondering if you can give me uh, a breakdown of First Corinthians chapter 15 and at verse 29. Verse 29. All right, let's go there real quick. And it says here, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? This is a verse that, well, first of all, let's, let's use the process of elimination. Some people read this verse and they go, baptized for the dead? 
which had me, yeah. I thought once you die, the Bible says it's appointed to man once to die. After that, the judgment. And, you know, everything else in the Bible says that when you die, your destiny, your works, good or bad, are sealed. And you'll be judged based on that. And the idea that someone could live a wicked life and someone else said, well, I'll get baptized for them. No, every person is accountable for their own soul. The only time there can be substitution for your soul is the sacrifice of Jesus. So that must happen while you're alive. Uh, after a person dies, their destiny is fixed. What does this mean? This is an example in the Bible where translators struggled with punctuation. The original Greek had no punctuation. And when you properly place the punctuation, this verse makes sense. Now, let me tell you, the whole context that you can look in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about the resurrection. He's laboring with the Corinthians who are struggling with whether the resurrection already happened or will it ever happen. And Paul says, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized? Then it should say comma. For the dead, comma, if the dead don't rise at all, comma, why are they baptized? For the dead? And so once you see, so what Paul is saying is, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then why are you getting baptized? Then after the word baptized, you should have a comma. It says, for the dead, comma, if they don't rise at all, why are they baptized? And then he asks a rhetorical, kind of a little bit of a sarcastic question. Are you getting baptized for the dead? Not saying you should do it. He's saying it would be absurd. He said, if there's no resurrection, why even bother getting baptized? Paul is not recommending that people get baptized for the dead. There, there is at least one denomination that does that. It's kind of dangerous for a person to think, well, I'm not going to give my heart to Jesus now. I'll have my kids or my grandkids do it. I'm just going to live for the devil. No, that's exactly what the devil would want people to think. Once a person dies, uh, they're, going to take their, they're going to take their life record to the judgment with them, and nobody living can change their destiny. There is no purgatory. There's no limbo that you can pray or pay a person out of. Does that help a little? A lot, a lot. Cause I was like, okay, Paul, what are you talking about here? You know, <laughs> that's a common question. People read along. And if you use the typical punctuation, you go, what does that mean? So, Hey, I thank you very much for your call, Dave. It's good to hear from you. Throughout recorded history, tales of ghosts and spirits can be found in folklore in nearly every country and culture. Egyptians built pyramids to help guide the spirits of their leaders. Rome sanctioned holidays to honor and appease the spirits of their dead. Even the Bible tells of a king that used a witch to contact the spirit of a deceased prophet. Today, ancient folklore of spirits and apparitions have gone from mere superstitions to mainstream entertainment and reality. Scientific organizations investigate stories of hauntings and sightings, trying to prove once and for all the existence of ghosts. Even with all the newfound technology and centuries of stories all over the world, there is still no clear-cut answer. So how do we know what's true? Why do these stories persist? Does it even matter? We invite you to look inside and find out for yourself. Visit deathtruth.com. 
we're going to talk next. I've always wanted to talk to Joe Lewis. Joe, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live from North Carolina. Hey, Pastor Doug. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, my question is, um, how do you know if God forgives you when you commit um, the same sin over and over and you ask him for forgiveness? Does he forgive you, like, when you ask him, or... Well, if he doesn't... I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it does. I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, all right, so you're struggling. Let's say you're struggling with a habit or a behavior that you keep... You fall. Let's suppose your problem is gossip. I'll just make that up as an example. Yeah. And you know gossip's not good. Right. And you catch yourself gossiping and you say, oh, Lord, the Holy Spirit convicts you. And you say, that was not right. I shouldn't have said that. I am so sorry. And you pray and say, God, forgive me. And you're sincere. As soon as you ask and you're sorry, God forgives you. Now, does that mean you're never going to gossip again? No. Uh, you may slip in that area again. Uh, the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. You do not stay down. You get up that eighth time. The Bible tells us Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. Don't be discouraged. The Bible tells us, uh, I think it's Job says, he will save you out of six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil will befall you. Christians may often have to weep at the feet of Jesus for the same mistake. I feel like I am... <sighs> Sorry, I don't need to cry. I feel like I'm taking advantage of God's mercy. Well, the very fact that you're, you're regretting that is a sign the Holy Spirit is still working with you because you feel conviction. The only way you're ever going to overcome is through God's mercy, right? Right. So do you think the Lord wants you to stop asking for power and forgiveness, or does the devil want you to get discouraged and give up? The devil wants me to get discouraged. The devil, the devil wants you to give up repenting. You know how many times I had to quit smoking before I quit smoking? A thousand. Now, I haven't had a cigarette in 40 years now, but I used to smoke and it was a struggle. And I'd throw away my cigarettes and I'd pray and ask God to forgive me and, and then I'd go smoke again. And I'd throw them away and I'd pick them up again. And I can't count how many times I played different games to try to quit and I'd repent and ask God for help. It was a struggle. But you know what? Finally, the day came where I got to where I was so desperate that God just needed to really bring me down to the bottom where I got to the place where he gave me victory, a lasting victory. Now, Joe, God wants you, whatever your issue is, God wants you to have a lasting victory. Do not get discouraged. Keep in mind the promise, your God is bigger than your devil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do not be discouraged because your promises feel like ropes of sand and you keep failing. If you fall again, tell the Lord exactly what you're telling me. Say, Lord, I believe you love me, but I feel like I'm taking advantage of your mercy and I don't want to. Sometimes we sin and we think, oh, I'll just ask God to forgive me tomorrow. And then we realize that's not the right way to think. Tell the Lord that. Say, I don't want to take advantage. Say, I want a lasting victory in this area. And he can give it to you. Would it be okay if I pray with you, Joe, before we sign off? Oh, yes, please. Father in heaven, I'd just like to pray that you be with Joe and uh, thousands of others listening just like him. We are struggling with something in our lives. It might be a habit, behavior. It could be some 
uh, addiction and we repent and we're genuinely sorry and then we make the same mistake. Help him not to be discouraged. I pray that he'll know that you are a, a bigger savior than he is a sinner and that you'll give him grace. You've promised that uh, your grace is sufficient uh, and uh, help him to have a va uh, lasting victory. Break the chains, Lord, and set him free. And so please bless Joe, encourage him that you love him and give him strength. And if he should fall again, uh, don't let him be cast down, but to turn back to you again and trust in your mercy and then get back up. And so bless him and, and everyone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you, Joe. And Joe, there is a book that I think you would be encouraged by. Don't be scared by the title. It's called, Is It Possible to Live Without Sinning? It's kind of a provocative title, but it's meant to be. We'll send you a free copy. And you can even read it online if you go to amazingfacts.org. The book is called, Is It Possible to Live Without Sinning? Free book. We'll send you 800-835-6747. Appreciate your call. Going to go back now to Texas and uh, talk to Michael. Michael, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. How are you doing, sir? Very good. And your question tonight? I, I have two things, but my question is in Ezekiel talks about the watchman three different times yeah and his job and in the last part of each one it talks about and if you do not tell them they will still surely die but their blood will be on your hand what does that mean for today's as we're going through life and there's someone that's put on our lives and we know we need to tell them, and then we're separated and never to see them again and never told them. That's a great question. So if you read Ezekiel 33, and there's other places, but mostly chapter 33 talks about the watchman on the wall. Does that mean, and it says, look, if you see an army coming and the watchman doesn't blow the trumpet and warn people, that army may come and destroy the city, but I'm, I'm going to require the blood of the citizens at the hand of the watchman who fell asleep on duty and didn't warn them. If you warn them and they don't take cover, they may die, but you've delivered your soul because you did warn them. That's a principle in life really for everybody. Now I've got some young friends that read this and they think, Pastor Doug, does that mean that I'm supposed to, everybody I see, I'm supposed to grab them by the collar and say, Jesus is coming, repent. And if I don't tell everybody their blood's on my hands. No, that obviously would not be a practical way to live. But there will be people, now keep in mind, Ezekiel is a prophet. He is called as a special watchman. He's given a special message of warning for the nation of Israel. And God was saying to Ezekiel, you better lift up the trumpet and tell him. Pastors are watchmen. Uh, teachers, evangelists. That's why James said, don't rush to be a teacher because you're more accountable, greater responsibility. But every believer, to some extent, uh, God will bring people into your lives. He'll put them on your hearts and you know you should be a witness. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine. If we have people that we have an opportunity to witness to and we neglect it, uh, that's dangerous business. Now, I'm glad for God's mercy because there's been many times God has impressed me to talk to someone and, and I've been afraid and those opportunities passed and I've asked God to forgive me. There have been times he impressed me to talk to people and I did talk to him and some came to the Lord and some mocked me. He doesn't promise they're all going to listen. And that's really what it's talking about here in Ezekiel is that to some extent we're all to let our light shine when God places someone in our path and he puts them on your heart. 
And now if you're working in, you know, some public offices, you can't go from desk to desk and talk about Jesus, so they're just going to fire you. So you have to use wisdom and tact and diplomacy. Hey, thank you, Mike. Did that help a little bit? Does that make sense? Uh, yes, I understood that. Uh, and I know it's not a loss of salvation because salvation is in Christ alone. But it still sticks out several times in Ezekiel that that their blood will be required. Would that be something when we stand in front of the Lord on... Uh, the Judgment Day. Yes. Uh, I know we won't stand with the people that are being cast, but we will be standing there, and he's going to show us all things. Um, crying, crying isn't until the third or fourth chapter of Revelations wiped away. Will that just be that we will know at that moment what we did and did not do, and that's what that's meaning? Or? Great question. Yeah, let me let me talk about that real quick. So in the judgment, are we going to be aware? Uh, yes. Even the redeemed, I think, will recognize God's mercy. It's in Revelation chapter 21. He dries all tears from our eyes. But there may be a period of time where we're aware that there are some we love that did not make it, that there are opportunities that we neglected and will probably have some remorse. But we, you know, God will wipe away our tears and we'll be thankful for the people that we didn't influence for eternity. You know, Jonah was reluctant to go to Nineveh, but when he finally went, the whole city repented. Kind of a lesson for us to uh, take advantage of those opportunities to say a word for Christ. All right, we're going to try and get in another call or two. Let me see here. All right, talking to Daniel from Florida, I believe. Daniel, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hey, Pastor Doug, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. I've got like a minute and a half. Can we do it? I can so we're reading in Numbers 22, uh, the story of Balaam to my kids, and they uh, asked me to explain why God would send an angel to confront Balaam and try and kill him um, if God told Balaam he could go. So I was wondering if you had any insight on that verse that I could share with them. Yeah, that is a good question. Originally, when Balaam said, can I go and get this reward for cursing Israel, God said, don't go, I'm not with them. Well, they came back wanting him to come again and they asked him to come one more time and they said we'll give you more money and God could see Balaam was bent on coming because he wanted the reward his heart wasn't right and God said all right look if, if you want to go you might be going into the uh, valley of the shadow of death and when Balaam was going who knows what was going through his heart when he's going down the road with his donkey and evidently he had a couple of servants with him too an angel stood in the way and said I'm here to resist you now keep in mind Angels do not miss if they swing. If God really wanted to kill Balaam, he wouldn't have missed. He'd be done for. The angel was warning Balaam, look, your, your way is not right. You shouldn't have even gone on this trip, but you wanted to go. An angel stood to resist Moses when he was going into Israel because he was neglecting a duty of circumcision on one of his boys. And, you know, sometimes angels come with promises of blessing. Sometimes they come with their swords drawn as a warning. And that's what was happening to Balaam. God said, look, you think you're going to go and curse these people and you want the reward and you want the honors and you're kind of wishing you could curse them. Uh, Balaam, uh, later, he does go totally sells out to the enemy and he ends up dying uh, a lost man. It's kind of sad. And he's mentioned again in Revelation for that. But hope that helps a little bit. Thank you, uh, James, for your call and uh, give the kids greetings. Hope it helps a little bit. 
Uh, listening friends, we're, we don't have enough time to do justice to another caller. And if I see several lines still lit up, if we didn't get to your call tonight, I hope you'll give us another chance. God willing, we'll be back again next week. I want to remind you that a lot of the answers can still be found right now if you go to the Amazing Facts website, simply amazingfacts.org. If you type in amazingfacts.com or .net, it'll all take you there. And if you've been blessed, click on the button there and just send us a little note. Let us know. God bless you. The truth will set you free. We'll talk again together next week. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil, a rebellion in heaven, a mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation in Eden. Discover God's amazing plan to save his children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? Find out what the critics are raving about. Top scholars and theologians from around the country come together to reveal the hidden history of the Book of Revelation. With powerful reenactments and incredible visual effects, this 95-minute masterpiece brings to life the book of Revelation like never before. Revelation is no longer a mystery. Get your copy today. Visit iTunes or afbookstore.com. Written by the hand of God and spoken with His voice, some words will never fade. Get Pastor Doug Batchelor's 12-part sermon series on the Ten Commandments by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. For over 50 years, Amazing Facts has shared the wonderful news of salvation and provided millions of Bible resources to people all over the world. We've built churches in India, proclaimed God's Word in China, and have sent free Bible studies around the globe. Today's program and free resources were made possible by our ministry partners, caring individuals like you. If you've been blessed by Amazing Facts, would you please consider partnering with us to reach others with the Bible truth? Your financial support today will help keep programs like this on the air so the blessings you've received can be shared with others. To find out more about becoming a ministry partner, please visit our website, To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. 